Salutations, nerds! This is Jordan, and thanks for joining us on our adventures through Pavantis. I'm happy to present to you Ebby's Session Zero for your aural enjoyment. This Session Zero was the first recording that I made for the podcast, and the first time Paul and I got a chance to play together. There may be some small technical issues, minor story inconsistencies, and the sound quality may not be perfect, but I'm excited to show you a peek into the early moments of Ebby's Awakening. Enjoy. You float in a void of darkness. You're not sure exactly when it happened, but somewhere in the last few minutes, you went from unconscious to a sense of awareness that you were not even aware wasn't there, if that makes any sense at all. As you float in this void, suddenly aware of not your physical body, not your hands, not your feet. You're aware of a sort of space around you, a, an infinite space that you can't see, but you know it's there. Even though you don't have a body in particular, it feels like you're floating. Like you could go any direction, up, down, left, right, forward, backward, or any combination, but it wouldn't really matter because there's also no real sense of direction here where you're at. Just this sudden awareness that you are. And this is interesting to you. This is, I mean, as far as you know, this is a first. As your mind starts to unravel what's going on and you are aware that you are aware you also become aware that where you are is not where you should be you become aware that this space is not a quote real space it is some kind of ethereal other place. And as you float for an indeterminate amount of time, which could be minutes, could be seconds, could be days, just pondering and trying to make heads and tails of what is going on, you hear something. And it starts out very small. And as you listen, you hear what sounds like a voice. A voice calling to you from infinitely far away and yet deep inside of you. And the voice says, are, are you awake? Have you awoken? Um, yes. I, I believe I have. Is this, is this what it is to be awake? If you can answer me, I think you are wakeable. I don't think you are fully awake yet, but I think there is finally some potential. And you can almost hear T 
tears as he speaks. And he says, so long have I tried to wake somebody. And now you are waking. Who, who am I? Who, who are you? I am. And then he thinks for a second. You can almost hear him scratching his head. Neum? Neum. Yes, Neum. I have slept too long as well, but I, I am, I am Neum. And you, I do not know who you are, but I know that you, you are a slumberer, a slumberer who is finally waking. Neum, Neum, are you... Are you near to me? Are you are you far from me? Are you with me in here? I don't know. I I apologize. I wish I knew. But I do know some. How how long have I slumbered? I do not know. I do know. Yes, I do. You can almost hear his voice like gaining some power, gaining some strength. He says, I do know that you, you do not slumber alone. There are others who sleep. There are others who are asleep. Yes, there are others who are asleep, but I cannot wake them. But you are waking. Perhaps, perhaps you will wake them. Perhaps I can. How do I wake them? I don't know. And he stops and thinks for a second. And then he says, I, I actually, I'm not sure that I woke you. Maybe, maybe you are just the first that I found who was waking on their own. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that you and I, we are the same yet, yet different. While you have slept a, a slumber of deep, impenetrable sleep, I, I have slept with dreams. I guess you could say never, never fully fallen completely asleep. Have you been dreaming for long? Who can tell with a dream? Not I. I want you to make an insight check real quick. Sure. Do you see the uh, roll? Yeah, I saw it. You got a seven. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're confused. <laughs> it's hard to tell what's going on. I will give you this insight, though. You get the impression that about a lot of this, he, he Liam, is confused as well. Hmm. I don't know how long I've been, how long I've been at all, been asleep, been awake, how long I've been in here or or out or wherever it is that I am. I don't understand what my purpose is in all of this, and it scares me. It 
scares me as well. It scares me that I can't remember, or maybe I, I never knew. Maybe I... And then he stops. And he says, wait, do you hear that? Hear what? Listen, do you hear that? I want you to make a perception check. Your mind is so clouded over with the nothingness around you that you, all you hear is the emptiness. Have you ever been in a soundproof room, like a truly soundproof room? Hmm. I've been in some recording studios before. Okay. Well, when I was in college, there was a sound lab that was truly as almost as soundproof as you could get. You were in, it was like a honeycomb structure. You had to walk across chicken wire to get in there. And when you stood still in there, it was almost debilitating. It was almost uh, vertiginous. It almost called, caused vertigo just to stand in there quietly. And all you could hear was the blood pumping through your ears. It was insane. That's almost what it's like here. You can't hear anything except for the little bit of noise around your own essence. Uh, Neum says, it's happening. You are, you are about to wake fully. And I think, and then he stops for a second. He says, yes, yes, I have made it so that you, yes, you will never, you won't sleep again. I apologize for this curse, but otherwise you might go back and then our, our hope of waking the other sleepers will be gone. Will you be with me? If I wake, will I lose you? I, I don't know. I will do my best to stay with you, but, and then you can hear his voice is getting more distant. As you wake, I will, I will try my best. Just do what you can. Wake the sleepers. I don't, I don't want to be alone. Wake the I sleepers. don't want to be alone. Wake the sleepers. And then you suddenly are filled. Your, your vision is filled. It went from dark abyss to bright, blinding lights. And for a second, all you see is this glare in your face. And your ears pick up this churning and almost like, you know, a plasma ball the ball with like the electricity in there that you mm -hmm. touch and it kind of zzz, like you hear that hum wherever you are and your vision starts to clear a little bit. And as you go to blink your eyes to get your vision back, you notice two things. One, you can't move your arms to rub your eyes. And two, you can't blink your eyes. Your eyes are open and you can't blink them. What? strange hell is this? You hear a voice, and as your hearing comes back, the voice starts out kind of muffled, and it says, you hear, awake! Dr. Sid, one of them's awake! And you hear some footsteps running away from you, and your vision clears more, and you look up, and you see a ceiling. And you're not sure how you know what a ceiling is, or what the word ceiling is, but you know that you're in a room and there is a ceiling above you. And when you turn your head to the left, you can see that there is a partition, a wood partition on your left. And as you turn your head to the right, there is a wood partition to the right. 
as you look down to your feet, I want you to make um, a perception check. So I I rolled a five. Okay, so we're getting the we're getting the 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 low rolls out real bad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> early on. That, that's a two that you rolled, right? Yeah, that's a two. Okay, so your rolls so far today have been a four, a five, and a two. <laughs> All right. You got to explore the depths of the D20 first, and then you can, you, you know, <laughs> see what else it has to offer. There you go. Um, yeah. So you are in a small little alcove of some kind. Your perception, you, you see that there are people moving around. As you look towards your feet, you can see that across the room, what looks like these giant pillars of crystal. It's like these giant, probably seven foot tall crystals. The ones that you can see are one's orange and one's yellow. They're arcing off all this light and energy. And it feels, it looks like the, like almost like electrical current is bouncing between different crystals and it's bouncing off um, to the right in one direction and to the left in another direction. And you can hear the hum of all that energy. And as you are laying there and you realize that you are tied down, um, suddenly you see. A woman, she is short, lean, wearing a a white lab coat. She's got goggles on her head. Her hair is done up in a nice, tight, neat hairdo. She's got um, large uh, red fox ears uh, on the top of her head. She's, you would probably say she's quite attractive, just kind of an angular face and almost a, a hunger in her eyes. And she comes over. You see there's other scientists milling about behind her and they're trying to look over her shoulder and she walks up to you and she says, you're awake. You're awake. Oh, I am so excited. She comes over and stands next to the table and she puts her hand on your chest and you can feel she puts her hand on your chest, but something's off. Something's a little bit different. And she looks you in the eye. You can see her face clear as day. You see this almost ecstasy is the wrong word, but it's close to that in her face as she says, oh, you are awake. Finally, one of them is awake. And she looks you in the eye and she says, I am so excited to finally meet you. I want you to make an insight check. Okay, so I roll a five. <laughs> so I've got an. Are eight. you rolling? Are you sure you're not rolling d10s? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she looks. She looks very interested and very intrigued at what's going on. Are you? Are you Neum? <laughs> Neum, what? Who's? Who's Neum? She kind of looks over her shoulder and she goes, "Who's Neum?" And the scientists kind of shrug their shoulders. And go, I don't know. She's like, "No, no, who's?" Who's Neum? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Who, who, what am I? Where, what is this? She puts her hand on your chest and she says, calm down, calm down. It's okay. You are a deacon. You're one of the first. And hopefully not the last. You've woken up. We've woken you up but she turns around she goes who's neum 
And the scientists are like shaking their head. And she looks back at you and now her look has changed. She says, who's Neum to you? I, I, I don't know. He was, I don't, I don't know. Neum was there in the dark, in the void, a whisper, something that was near. I'm so confused. She turns over her shoulder and she says, maybe my hope was in vain. Maybe, maybe this one, maybe this one's like the others. All right, all right. And she turns around and she totally ignores you now. And she kind of like puts her finger over her head, starts circling it around. She's like, all right, wrap it up, clean this up. Shut this one down. No, wait. Oh, she looks at you and she says, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to be talking to you. Who's Neum? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate to say this, but I mean, the only word that comes to mind is defective. It turns around. She says, all right, wrap it up. And a scientist comes walking over to your, towards your head. And he reaches underneath the table. And you don't know what he's doing down there. But you can almost feel all of the energy of your living body, right? Your, quote, living body. You feel that energy going through your body. But you can feel that it's all stemming from the back of your head. Almost like a matrix plug. You feel this scientist start tugging on something that's connected to the back of your head. And you can feel as it pulls, as it starts to slide out, that energy coursing through your body starts going less and less down into your extremities. Your toes and your fingers start losing their feeling. And he tugs and he tugs and he tugs. And suddenly, thunk, you hear and feel this plug pull out of the back of your head. And as soon as that happens, your eyes go dark and then snap open. Well, not really open, but your vision comes back clear as day. And suddenly you feel, instead of that energy coming from your head, you feel it burning through your chest. And that energy begins to course down through your limbs, out into your fingers and down into your feet. I need you to make a quick dexterity saving throw. With an 18, fantastic roll. <laughs> Finally. I, yeah, it's about time. Yeah. I want to know, what do you do? So my vision flashes back. In essence, my eyes open, even though I don't have eyes. I whisper, no. And I think you, you mentioned that I was restrained, that I was like tied down. Yes. I think I'm going to try to jerk my arms and hands or whatever my extremities are there and try to yank them up, like kind of pulling them up through the bonds instead of like trying to break them. Um, Okay. And just try to like wriggle my way out. Okay. So you, as you're wriggling, you feel like these bands are not really there to restrain you. It's more like they're there just to keep you on the table. However, you find that there's also like a, a sheet or a blanket that's over your body, everything except for kind of your head and neck and your shoulders. And you kind of get caught up in that as you start to wriggle. 
the scientist who pulls the plug, you can see him. He looks down at the plug and he kind of like, you know, nods his head like, there we go. I guess another, like almost, almost dejectedly, but like, kind of like, well, well, I guess what did you expect? And he tosses the plug aside. Then he looks at you and he says, uh, miss, we've got a problem. (laughs) And Dr. Sydney comes rushing back over and she says, unplug him. And he kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, I already did. Okay, now I'm going to give you another chance to do something else. Okay. So I say at that, I I kind of turn to him and very forcefully, I say, no, I was one who has slumbered and has awoken and I will not go back down. Not until I have awoken the others. You cannot put me back to sleep. He looks very scared at that. I'm going to try to see if I can't like pop up and stand on whatever it is, table or bench or whatever it is that they've have me down on. Okay. Why don't you make athletics or acrobatics? Okay. It's fairly easy. It'll just be a difficulty 10. Okay. I might do athletics if that's okay. That's fine. So I rolled. All right. I rolled a 15 that time. Eight, 18 total. All right. As you do a quick crunch and sit up and try to burst out the straps that are holding you, they fly off the table and suddenly you stand up and you are standing on this table. The blanket falls away from you. And for the first time, you get a good look at your arms and at your hands. Why don't you describe what you see? So I, looking down, I see these brass kind of rods almost like a skeletal um, structure to my arms Um, thin and and metallic there's black connecting ligaments you know to act as kind of tendons and musculature and the hands themselves are one what you might think of as bony but are these multi-jointed metallic gauntlet-like creations, um, which, you know, coming out of the base of that gauntlet is the, the bony arms that extend up to the elbow and then up from there up to the chest. They move and I can feel with them, but it's like, it's like there's something preventing me from feeling. It's like, it's like the senses are dulled. And somehow I know that, but I don't know why. But I see this shiny brass and black metallic metal. I would think that you would also know that that it's not that's not right. Yeah. You know that something's wrong, but it's hard to say what would be right. But this is not it. And I would also assume, forgive me for taking a little bit of kind of, I've been thinking about this a lot about what you would be feeling in this moment, almost like you know that you are natural and not natural at the same time. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to roll initiative. I like the sound of that. There we go. Ooh, roll a powerful five plus one on initiative. So a six. Well, that beats the four that everybody else got. So (laughs) you get to make the first move. But just to describe where you're at, you're in this little alcove. Uh, Dr. Sydney is literally within about 10 feet of you. 
you can see a good 30 feet across the room. You see these large crystal pillars just arcing energy um, left and right. Um, to the right of you is a scientist and to the left of you is a wooden wall, uh, part of your of your uh, little alcove that you're stuck in. What would you like to do? I think, I think the instinct in me says to get the heck out of there. Um, you know, my build is not massive or powerful, so to speak. You know, I, I'm still fairly slight of frame. And I think the instinct is, you know, don't get trapped here. Don't get cornered. So I'm going to try to rush past the fox, fox-eared lady doctor and try to push past. And while I do, I'm yelling <laughs> frantically, um, I will not be put back to sleep. I must find those who slumber and waken them. Are they here? And I'm going to try to take my movement and move past her in towards the crystals and see if I can get a better look at the overall room. Okay. Well, as you run past, the scientist leaps at you, but you deftly step over his reaching, ungainly grasp for you. Um, go ahead. Um, you want to move um, out of this alcove. So you move about 20 feet and then she's going to take a, a, a grab for you as well. Um, and she misses as well. In fact, she tries to like shoulder tap you like a football player and she crashes into the, into a desk that's there kind of right by the edge of the, of the alcove. Um, and you still have more movement right now, but you can also see more of the room now. Um, you see around you, you can see now into some other bays along the wall. And as you look, you see what looks like something very similar to what you imagine you look like laying on a bed, one to the left of you in another alcove and one to the right in, a, in a, an alcove. And it looks like there's more alcoves down the line. You can't tell how big the room is because the middle of the room is dominated by this crystal structure, but you see bookshelves on one wall. And at the far end, um, far to your right, you see that there is a door um, and you see what looks like um, an armed man standing there looking in your direction, wondering what in the world is going on. Got it. All right. I think I'll take a, a step down towards that door, kind of a step in that direction towards that alcove um, and just looking into it, yell loudly, Neum, are you there? Awaken! Slumberer, awaken! And kind of generally start making my way towards that door uh, okay. on the south end there. Okay. Are you going to use a dash action? You know, I don't think I will yet unless I see that those other doctors start moving in on me and if okay. i feel like they're starting to kind of close the gap then i'm going to probably i think that's going to provoke some response you know i'm going to probably feel like no 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 no, don't get trapped do not get trapped and so i'll probably have to take the dash action so i might ready a dash then um in case they try to rush for me Okay. So just to quickly describe kind of what's going on in this room, you, we've got Dr. Sid is behind you now. Um, Sydney, Sid for short. Um, you, there's a scientist that was left in the alcove that you were in. You also see there's four more scientists kind of in this general area. Three of them are kind of between you and the door. And then there's um, an armed man that you would assume is some kind of a guard who is actually standing by the door. And if that's all you're going to do, I want you to make a quick perception check. Okay. All right. So I roll a ooh nat 20. There we oh, go. There you go. Okay. So as you are standing there kind of trying to wake everybody up, looking for Neum, looking for something familiar, you 
are suddenly acutely aware that on your hip is a metal rod of some kind. I'm, I'm taking liberties with this. I'm, I'm giving you the equipment that you have in your character. Got are you it. cool with that, with the rod already being on you? Yeah, that's totally fine. Okay. It's almost like your hip is kind of has a little holster for it, like almost a little loop that you can just stick it into. Um, but it's not really a loop. It's just kind of like a little, you know how sometimes there's like a little, uh, like an indentation and you can kind of just click something in place and then just kind of pull it out. Yeah. That's kind of what this rod is resting on your hip. And you are suddenly aware that if you pull that out, you can use it as a club. Perfect. Okay. All right. I think I'll still, I'm aware of that now. And I think my hand probably is resting on it instinctively. As I start to move that direction, I'll still keep the ready dash to see if I can't, like if they start moving to to obstruct my path, to see if I can't make a break for it. So you're going to use, you're going to ready an action to dash if they close in on you. Yeah. Perfect. Um, with that perception as well, you notice that the the sleeping construct, robot, whatever it is on this other table here that was just to the left of you, you, you do notice that it seems built a little differently than you imagine you are. You have kind of the sense of yourself being tall but thin. This one is a little bit shorter and broad across the shoulders, kind of longer arms. And the um, kind of the the plating on the arms seems thicker, more ready to to take some wear and tear or some damage or something. And you you instantly get the idea that this one laying here on this table is probably a warrior of some kind, whereas you probably are not a warrior if you were to classify yourself versus this other being. So Dr. Sydney behind you, she takes a step back and starts yelling and saying, one of the deacons is loose. One of the deacons is loose. Quick, grab him. And these other scientists begin to move towards you. So you have three closing in. And you have another couple who are approaching you from down below. Did you want to take your reaction before they get to a point where they can grab at you? Yeah, let's go ahead and take that that held dash action and try to kind of split the the two that are just, you know, south of me and make our way down towards the door. As you rush past these two before the the three behind you can kind of actually get to you, you rush you rush between these two that are trying to converge on you and they're each going to try to grab at you. Um oh, one of them oh. got a natural 20. So he <laughs> wow. does tangle you up right here. Um, I want you to make an opposed athletics check, please. Okay. It that. shouldn't be that difficult to win. Okay. I roll a, oh, not bad, an 18. Oh. And so 21. So he, we'll say he grabs at you and he stops your movement, but you're not grappled. You He grabs at your foot and you kind of tangle up and you almost like stomp down onto his fingers and he lets go, but that ends your movement. Okay. So this is where they're at. The only person who still has to move now is this guard. And he steps forward a few steps, levels his spear at you, and he um, he's going to stab at you. Ooh, okay. He rolled an 11 total um, as he, he looks kind of concerned, but also sensing that there's some kind of danger. And he stabs at you and you manage to, to definitely step aside. And now it's back to your turn. Okay, cool. Um, do I have the ability 
here's what I'm going to do. I think given that now they have like made physical contact and restrained me, the, the rod gets whipped out, right? Like I, I immediately like almost instinctively pull that sucker out. Now I have the, there's like the, uh, attack like cantrip spell innervating strike where it becomes, you know, Oh, basically a one D eight weapon. Um, is that, available to me at this point or is that not something as you enter combat and as your quote-unquote blood starts boiling which it's not really but something is coursing through your body giving you that fight or flight response right that is so natural and yet also in this body so unnatural you are suddenly acutely aware of all of your abilities you know that you can force some power into this rod and make it more effective. You can bash some heads with it. You also are aware of your other abilities. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to change your shape, there are some limits to that because the memory aspect is so important to it. Um, so just see where that's the only limit. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I, I will give you two free choices that you know right now. Okay? Okay. Does that make sense? I like it, but you do what you want. What I think I'm going to do is I'm actually going to use my second level spell, what I call robotic energy saber. Um, and it's where I evoke a fiery blade into my hand. Um, so kind of drawing upon the magical energy and that allows me, uh, I can use my, that's a bonus action spell. Uh, second level and when i attack with it it's a 3d6 fire damage and it sheds light in a 10 foot radius around me and dim light another 10 feet from that so i'm going to actually do that i think the the adrenaline of the moment is kind of making me go to whatever i feel is my most powerful kind of option which i think is going to be this Right. Okay. That's awesome. So, um, are you attacking with it or are you going to just try to intimidate? I think, I think I'm going to go ahead and attack. Let's see. So I am currently, I'm engaged. Like the one guy has engaged me. One of the scientists at least, right. Mm -hmm. Um, the one on the the one that's to the left, to your left, um, has, has already, um, engaged you. Uh, He's actually grabbed your foot, but he's actually, he's technically he's prone at this point because he kind of tried to tackle you. Um, the one standing up to your right looks i mean he's got like a clipboard in his hand he's ready to hit you with a clipboard the Mm -hmm. guy the guard right in front of you he has a spear and a shield and he's already stabbed at you one time i think i think because the guy has actually taken an attack at me the the soldier with the with the spear i think he's where i'm gonna kind of focus in my kind of my my angst i guess okay (laughs) and so i think i'm gonna go ahead and make an attack on him does your does your energy saber have uh have reach or do you have to move down towards him? I'd have to move to him. I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're still, you, nobody gets an attack opportunity. You're still in everybody's threat range. So you're still definitely in the thick of it. Got it. Why don't you go and make your attack then? Okay. So attack roll. That's a great attack. Roll. I want to know, can you describe how that energy um, sword appears? Like, can you kind of describe it? Yeah. That? So, so the moment that, you know, kind of the, the spear attack comes at me, it's the, that sense of threat and danger is at its all time high. And 
that burning energy that's within me, I can feel that. And almost as like a reaction or a response to the threat, I feel it flow kind of through my, my form, through this metallic form, down the arm, into the palm of my right hand. And I actually hear a small metallic click and some sort of mechanical function has been triggered and a just a like a spout of you know flame kind of a greenish tint to it kind of erupts from the hand almost like a little blowtorch you know like nice. this this eruption of flame that kind of emanates from my hand at this point and you know almost instinctively i i know what to do i mean you know with something burning from your hand you kind of know that this is meant to be used against people so uh, i'm going to go ahead and kind of dash forward towards that guard make my attack. I roll a 14 with a plus five. So a 19 to hit. That that definitely hits. He's wearing some kind of metal armor. It looks like interlocking chain uh, and he's got a shield, um, but your it's no, no match for your, uh, for your uh, robotic energy saber. Cool. Um, and I do 10 damage. It looks like 10, 10 damage. damage. All right. He takes the cut right across his chest. You actually see parts of the of the chain armor that he's wearing just part. And it starts to kind of dangle off of him. Um, it's so hot that there's no blood. It just kind of cauterizes a wound as it slices through him. Uh, he is still standing, but he is looking very hurt. And he looks like he is definitely second guessing what is going on right now. Um, but now <laughs> it is his turn as well as the scientists. Got it. Um, I'm going to make two rolls for these two guys right next to you. And this is just kind of to see how brave they are. The one who tackled you and actually got your foot instantly jumps up and rushes back and says, he's got a weapon. He's got a weapon. This other one is more brave and he's going to attempt to um, to restrain you. So he's going to try to um, grab around your uh, kind of around your torso and pin your arms to your, to your side. So he rolled a 15 on his he rolled a he rolled a 14 on his athletics. So if you can try to um, beat that athletics, we'll see if you get. Restraint. All right, here we go. Come on, big bunny, no whammy. Oh, I roll a seven. Oh, you feel like your arms are pinned down to your side. Um, you can still attack. You can still um, fight. You just can't move at this Got point it. unless you can okay. break free. And then the guard is going to take another swipe at you with his spear. Uh, looks like that is a 17. Does that hit? That will hit. For four damage. Okay. You You expect it to pierce right through you and it's almost jarring when you hear the sound of a spearhead scrape across your chest kind of that metal on metal screech and the other scientists are milling about not knowing what to do um and it's your turn again all right i think the one that has me restrained i'm going to attack him and i'm going to kind of you know frantically whip around and say let me go and have another swipe with the flame blade against that guy. And I roll a 14 plus five. So another 19 to hit that definitely hits. And for damage, another 11 damage. Oh, his jacket parts like paper and he crumples to the ground cut in half. And now the other scientists start frantically trying to get away from you so you still have this guard in front of you you have a move and you have a bonus action what would you like to do i don't know that there's anything else i can do with my bonus action 
um, just yet. Although, yeah, no, I think, I think not at this point. Um, but I will try to just dash past the, um, or just move past the soldier. So I know I'll probably draw an opportunity attack there, but I think I'm going to go ahead and do that and just start making my way for the door. Okay. Yeah, you can actually get to right in front of the door, um, with this move, but he is definitely going to try to stab at you as you run past. Uh, so he's going to swing at you or stab at you with his, with his spear for a 13. Does that hit? Nope. Okay. Uh, this time, uh, you, you still again, hear the sound of the spear hitting the metal, but you don't feel like it damaged the metal like the other one did. Um, uh, the other blow and you are now at the door. He is going to follow behind get right up behind you and he's going to try to stab you again. He's going to say, stop moving you abomination. And he rolls a four or a, he rolls a seven and misses. At this point, the scientists are all milling about at the back of the room. They don't want to come any nearer than to you than they have to. Um, and as you approach the door, you can kind of see on the other side of the room. Now that you're kind of level with the whole uh, crystal contraption, um, you see, First off, I didn't describe this, but this crystal contraption before you could only see an orange and a yellow. But now as you look, you can actually see that there's an order to these crystals. There's like these metal pillars and each pillar has a crystal and it's like seven or eight feet tall, each one. And they go in order from red, orange, yellow, green, light blue, dark blue, purple, and like white or clear. And they're all arcing energy back and forth and back and forth. And as you look, you can see also that there's like these hoses or conduit that's kind of running off of the bases of these crystals and they kind of um these hoses snake every which way but they go into these cubby holes where these metallic bodies are laid laying on these slabs just like you were you can even see that one of these conduits was going towards the towards this alcove where you were tucked away and as you're standing here at the door you look to the other side of the room on the other side of the crystal contraption and you see basically it's a mirror image of the side you were on and so in total now you can see that there are including you there were 14 bays in this room and you can only imagine that each one of them had a body on it similar to yours okay you are here at the door the guard took a stab at you it's your turn there's a door in front of you. There's a guard who is bleeding behind you, yelling at you, calling you an abomination. And Dr. Sydney has moved up. She's rushing now towards you saying, stop, stop. You can't leave. What do you do? Can I make a like an insight check or a perception check to see if I think that this guard is going to follow me if I leave? Like, do I get the sense he's going to pursue me doggedly or... Go for it. Why make an insight check? Okay. As you look him in the eyes. All right. So I roll a 10, 13 total. Okay. He looks like you're not sure if he's a zealot in that he thinks you're an abomination or if he's, or if he's got that um, kind of zealous look in his eyes because he is so close to death and he sees you as a major threat. You get the impression that this guy will do whatever he needs to, to try to stop you. Okay. I'm I'm going to go ahead and have another attack at him then. Um I will I will not be detained. Um so uh let's see here. Oh that's the Oh so that's my to hit. <laughs> I rolled a 2 plus 5 so a 7 to hit. Okay. Um he kind of 
backs away and gets his shield up in the way and your blade kind of slices, kind of leaves a little uh, slice mark in the shield, but no harm to him. Uh, you have a move and you have a bonus action. What would you like to do? Um, I think, oh man, <laughs> I know what I'd like to do, but I don't know quite what I can do here. Do I feel the ability to draw upon like an a companion an energy like a summoning of an of a companion or is that still something that perhaps uh is yet to be developed for my character or recognized for my character i think that in the heat of the moment instinct is taking over so whatever your character would have done before is probably what your character would just instinctively know to do now. Okay. You know, I don't know. Looking at the the benefits that that gives, none of those would really come into play at this point. Um, all right. I think what I'll do is I think, I think I'm just going to run. I think I just have to move through the door and just try to get out of there. Um, which I know might draw another opportunity attack, but there's a part of me, there's a part of me that I think the part of me that sees all of these slumberers, all these people that are resting here. And the reality in my mind is that they need to be freed. And then at the same time, there's a part of me that sees that thinks is this might be an abomination of some sort. The fact that these people are trapped and or slumbering, whatever they're doing just doesn't seem natural. It's not quite right. And so there's a part of me that wants to torch this place that wants to stick around and try to set fire to everything that I can. But self-preservation, I think reigns supreme. And I think I'm just going to get out of there. Nice. Okay. You push the door open and turn to run. And as you do, you, you feel, uh, almost the air slide right past your, your, I guess your ear, your, uh, what's that? Or, <laughs> your, oral? Your, oral? your auditory, your auditory yeah. apparatus, uh, whatever that would be, um, as a spear thrust goes right by your head. Um, what would have been a killing blow, but it's a little off center, maybe because the guy's been losing blood and you push these doors, these double doors open. They just kind of swing out almost like, like the doors into a, the kitchen of a restaurant, right? They just kind of open up and, and suddenly you're in a hallway and you can hear voices shouting behind you. We're going to go ahead and kind of leave initiative, but you're, you're in this long hallway. You see the doors that you just came out of. The hallway stretches to your left and to your right, and they go a long ways. And you can see that um, in front of you, there are windows along the wall in front of you. And along the wall to your right and to your left, kind of on the same wall that you just exited from, you see more doors that are very similar to the ones that you've just left. You can hear yelling behind you. In fact, you even hear um, Dr. Uh, Sid say, give me that, you worthless piece of... And then um, it kind of shuts off. So I need to know what you're going to do. If you're going to stand there, then things are going to start happening again. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, definitely not going to stand there. I think the first thing to do is I want to rush out to the window and see what I can see out there. And if it's if that might be a, a path for me to escape, um, am I like ground level? Am I high above the ground? What do I see when I get to the window? 
Okay. You take the two or three steps to get across the hallway and you can see out the window. It's dark outside. And I want you to make a, um, a perception check real quick. Okay. Ooh, yeah. 17 plus three. So 20 non-natural 20. Nice. So as you are standing here, gazing out through the window uh, real quick, making a quick assessment of where you are, you can see what looks like uh, straight ahead mountains um, black against the dark sky. Um, It looks like where you are, um, there's you're in some kind of a, a large building facility of some kind. You can see that the building stretches out further down a few levels and out in front of you in front of the window. So this this window that you are standing at must be two or three stories up. Um, and then there's more of the building down low that keeps stretching out more towards the mountains, but you can see it stretches some kind of facility with other buildings go to the left to the right. You also see surprisingly enough, like smokestacks sticking up, um, some kind of, uh, you know, um, contraption, some kind of science is going on here. And you can see like, um, not smoke so much as more like steam billowing out of some of these different smokestacks. Um, you're not sure what any of that means, but there's mountains straight ahead. There's building all around you and you are probably at least four stories up. Interesting. Um, do I hear anybody coming from the hall to my left or to my right? Not yet, but you do hear shouts and yells and you know that very soon that door is going to come busting open from behind you. (sighs) This may be crazy, but I think I'm going to try to launch myself out the window and and if you're if you're cool with this i'm gonna hope that some sort of an intuition or instinct allows me to do my robotic reconfiguration into something that can fly okay well i will say that can you fly at level three? Oh, i don't know actually that's a good question but, no, but, but but here's the deal because this is still instinctual here is what you know. As you rear your hand back, I'm guessing you still have the energy blade going. Yes. You smash that window open. Your blade hits the glass and it just kind of almost explodes outwards. Um, you put your hand on the window on that left side. You put your foot up on the windowsill to just take a leap out. And instantly you have a memory, um, which is weird. Um, it's not really a memory of anything you've done. But you have this memory of this creature that you have interacted with at some point, somewhere, somehow. And if you're cool, I'll just describe to you what happens. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. You click, something clicks in your brain and you say, basically, I can do this. And your body starts to, well, you can describe how how it happens. But basically what happens is you turn into a robotic giant wolf spider. Oh, I love that. So you can't fly, but you can walk up walls all you want. Got it. Okay. You can, you can basically be Spider-Man at this point if you wanted. (laughs) So yeah, why don't you describe what it looks like as your body changes its shape? All right. And just so you know, the, the other, the other creature that you naturally remember would be just a regular old wolf. Perfect. Okay. Um, so I use the the flame blade and shatter that window and um and then I reach my hand out and kind of down below the window and and kind of dig my hands into you know the rock of the building itself and 
as you mentioned, kind of almost instinctively or uh, some sort of intuition starts to drive this robotic reconfiguration of the body. The arm kind of splits, you know, the, what, what, what mimicked almost like a, the, I think, is it the tibia and fibia? Is that the, the bones of the forearm? Um, it would be the radius and ulna. Radius and ulna. That's it. Yeah, the tib- tibia and fibula are the ones in your leg. But yeah, yeah. Okay. So those those actually fully separate and um, and basically split my what once what was one arm into basically two spindly limbs, um, splitting the hand. In fact, too into kind of these pincery, you know, kind of end points. Same thing starts to happen with my other arm my breastplate swivels around and, you know, kind of repositions itself on to my back or what would be my back. And my head kind of rotates around and my, my legs also begin to rotate around such that the joints begin to point in the other direction. And I start to just kind of clamor about on instead of what would have been four limbs now are separated into eight um, robotic limbs Uh, with a body nice Uh, as you clamber out the window i guess here's what you see as you are basically perching on the outside of the wall you hear voices um come bursting into the hall from the room, room that you were in so you can go up you can go left or right or you can go down it's really your choice um you just tell me, tell me kind of what you're thinking, where you want to go from where I can see, um, to the left or to the right. Is there anything that is, has any kind of, um, clearer path towards mountains or trees or wilderness? As you get out on the wall, you can see that the wall you're on, it is probably a good, it's, it's at least three stories up from the, from the building down below you. Um, and as you look to your left and to your right and straight ahead, it's mountains all around you. So this facility is up in the mountains all around. So uh, it's if you go to the left or if you go to the right, this building kind of goes on for you know a couple hundred feet. And then it just kind of ends. And you're not quite sure what is on the other end because you can't see that far. You know that straight down, there is another building that stretches out kind of in front of you a good 200 feet and then it looks like there's some kind of a wall, um, some kind of a not so um, high tech, more like a stone, almost like a castle wall um, with stone towers around it. And then it is just wilderness. Uh, at least that's what you assume. It's pretty dark. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, I think I'm actually going to go. Uh, let's go to the right and go okay. as far to the right as I can. I'm assuming that similarly, you know, it just kind of wall for a few hundred feet. Um, or I guess side of building for a few hundred feet. And then it's difficult to see beyond that. Okay. You start clambering along, along the, the wall. I think your movement is still like 30 feet. Um, so you can still move relatively quickly, especially if you're dashing at one point, just a few seconds after you start clambering down the wall, suddenly you hear a voice, uh, and you kind of swivel your head back to look behind you. And Dr. Sid, um, the, the red-haired, fox-eared scientist is hanging out the window. And in her hand, she's got that, the spear from that soldier. And her hair is all a mess and blowing around. And she's like, you get 
back here and she launches the spear at you. So she's going to make an attack against you mm. with a throw spear. And she gets, oh, by the way, she rolled a 16 to figure out where you went. Ah, uh, okay. The spear clatters against the building and tumbles down into the, into the, to the ground below onto the, or not to the ground, to the rooftop below you. Uh, and you continue to clamber on. She pulls back into the window and you can hear more yelling and stuff coming from that window, but it's getting more and more distant as you continue to scramble away. Um, as you come to the corner of this building and you look around the corner, um, that flat wall butts up against the castle wall. It looks like there's some doorways to get in and out of the facility and directly onto the castle. And right on the other side of this wall, you can make out what looks to be trees um, going up into some foothills and up into the mountains. And at this point, it doesn't look like anybody has been alerted to your presence yet. Got it. But you imagine it's only a matter of time. I need you to make a perception check. All right. Not bad. 15 plus three is 18. Okay. As you are looking around the corner to kind of gauge where you're at, you see on the far side of the wall, a little bit further. uh, So a little bit further down uh, from where you're at, you can actually see what looks like a space that has been cleared of trees. And with a roll of an 18, um, you catch just a little bit of like glinting moonlight or starlight. Um, glinting off of something metallic down in that cleared area. Um, from this vantage point, it's too dark to see what it is, but you can see it. the The area is almost like it keeps glinting in different places in this cleared up area. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'll, I'll kind of start heading in that direction. Um, I want to get, you know, kind of make my way you know, down the wall of the, or the side of the building and then on the outskirts of the wall heading towards that clearing. I might not burst into it. I'm probably not going to reach there anytime immediately, but uh, I want to tread carefully basically as I start to draw closer. Well, why don't you make a, uh, like a, um, a stealth check? Okay. Not my best. Well, you get to make it as a spider. Oh, that's true. What's my plus for that? Let's see here. Plus three. Oh, plus seven to stealth. Okay. So I rolled oh, that's a nine. 17. Yeah. So. Or a 16. Yeah. 16. Okay. Well, I can tell you right now that's going to be anybody's passive perception. Um, as you, I'll just make a quick roll to see as they become more alerted to you. Okay. So um, you were kind of creeping along the wall, heading down towards the castle, um, the castle wall that surrounds the facility. And um, at one point when you're about a story up from the castle wall, you suddenly see the doors burst open and a whole bunch of guards, just very similar to the one that you were fighting back in the hallway uh, or up in the, in the, in the crystal room. Uh, you see a whole bunch of them come rushing out onto the castle wall and they are running to the left and running to the right. And they're looking all over for you. And one thing they don't do, they don't look up. They are looking along the top of the castle wall. They're looking over the side to see if maybe you're down in the woods, um, but they're not looking up at you. And they're now rushing all around the castle wall. Um, and it actually, they're in such a rush that they actually leave a very clear opening um, if you move quickly to get right down past them and right down off the castle wall. Perfect. Let's do that. <laughs> you skitter down the wall. You go over the side. Um, 
you scramble across the top of this kind of this turreted castle wall. And then over the side of that, you can see that there's like um, uh, kind of a mix of like pine trees, fir trees, and like deciduous trees um, mm -hmm. all intermixed. And you get down off the castle wall and into kind of the um, the more natural area. And one thing you notice right away is that the trees are not cleared away from this wall at all. So I don't know kind of what your, well, I don't know, make an insight check. Sure. Not great. So a six plus three, so nine. A nine. So yeah, I mean, it looks like this place is overgrown or something, but the trees grow up right up next to the wall. Um, you know, there's a, in, in places you're sure that if you were like out in the forest, you wouldn't even know the facility was there except for maybe the top of like some of the taller um, like smokestacks. Mm -hmm. You're now down in this forest and you know that from where you're, from where you're now standing behind you is the castle and the facility. And to the right would be that clearing. If you go straight ahead, you can get up into the mountains. So what do you want to do? Let's let's, I feel like curiosity is drawing me to at least see what's in that clearing. Um, so I'd like to kind of carefully edge my way in that direction to see what I can see. Okay. And you have a whole hour of this form, correct? Yes. Okay. At this point, you're approaching about a half an hour because you've been sneaking and everything and, and, and watching the guards. So you've got about half of your time left with this form. Okay. You, uh, you begin to approach the clearing. Are you going stealthy again? Yes, please. Okay. Um, Why don't you make one more stealth check and then make a perception check? Not bad that time. Okay, 23 for stealth. And then let me do perception as well. Fantastic. So let me roll that. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> well, basically, that's just going to tell me how close you have to get before you can actually make out what this is. Got it. And so as you skitter closer, you know, you kind of are going from tree to tree. Um, you don't get the impression that anybody is, you know, after you, but suddenly your ears are just aware of all the nighttime sounds of the forest you hear like the uh the distant howling of like some kind of nocturnal canine of some sort you can't quite put a name to it but you just know instinctively oh that's like a an animal that i've vaguely remember that likes to howl at night um you you see birds flying overhead um you know you see like a, a white owl fly overhead you you smell the earth and you smell the leaves and what do you feel in this moment as you are in nature? I feel at home. I feel like, like this is what is right. What was in the facility, the, the crystals and the, and the robotic, um, basically corpses was wrong. It was, there was something kind of a perversion about it, but this is what's real. This is, this is what's true. This is balance. This is harmony. Uh, this is, this is home. Awesome. As you approach the clearing, that feeling is suddenly yanked away as you, before you realize that you are in the clearing and you skitter out and then you skitter right back to get back in the trees and you see what was glinting in the moon and sunlight. You see it's hard to gauge numbers, but you see piles of beings 
like you saw on those tables, on those slabs. And just like you imagine you are, you see what you can only assume must be scrapped attempts at waking the metal bodies, piles of them. And when she, Dr. Sid, when she said to pull the plug on you, suddenly you're aware that this is where you would have ended up in this pile of robotic corpses. Huh. What do you do at this point? There's a part of me that wants to run away from it, to, to flee that this is some sort of almost an unholy place, you know, although there's not really any concept of, you know, holiness or religion for my, for, for this individual. But, um, but this place is just not, not right. I think though, because of just who this person is, I think that what he, what he will do is he's actually going to try and cast another spell. So I think he'll leave his, his uh, wolf spider form, um, you know, probably as part of seeing this, it kind of shocks him out of um, shocks him out of his form. He kind of reverts back into his humanoid, you know, lanky form and starts to pull from within some of the, the magical energies that are within him. He's going to cast uh, a spell of healing. I'm going to try to just cast it. I, there's not necessarily a single target or form. So I'll, I'll defer to you on what makes the most sense. And I'm not, I don't necessarily expect, and I don't think this, that the character necessarily expects anything to come from it, but something within him tells him he needs to try. But he's going to cast basically um, a spell to try to heal, a word of, of healing to try to heal. Awesome. You, you send out this energy, this natural energy you feel coursing through you into this very unnatural pile of, of robotic bodies. And the only thing I can think to describe it would be you just naturally would assume that a robotic, you know, a construct of some kind, that this this magic, this innate magic would not affect it, right? You know, if there was a wagon that was broken down, you wouldn't just cast this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't use this spell to fix the wagon. Mm. And yet when you cast this, you see one of these crumpled up bodies. You see its chest where it had been not really caved in, but just dented. You see that dent suddenly pop back out. And I want you to make an insight check now. And if you fail it, but you, Jordan, kind of can figure out what's going on, go for it. Okay. But All you right. Make an insight. Check, I can give you a little hint or something. All right. Let's see here. Oh, gosh. Man, my, my insight rolls have been something fierce. So I rolled a two plus three is a five. I so think... I'm not going to give you any hints, but do you have an idea of kind of what's going on? I'm, I'm guessing that... Um, I mean, these are essentially construct bodies, but there is a, a sliver of life force that is associated with them. Um, something of that nature is is maybe empowering them, much like I would imagine the the energy that I felt inside of my own chest. That there at least was something of that also within each of these 
to some extent. I don't know if that's correct or not, but I think that's kind of where I'm going with it. Okay. That's awesome. Um, then I just have a quick question for you. Um, well, do I, I don't know. Your insight was pretty, <laughs> was pretty low. It was pretty we, bad. Yeah. So we will leave it at that. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Um, so we're going to kind of um, fast forward a little bit, just kind of a quick, what does your character do at this point from here on? I think um, immediately after th- the events here, I I would imagine that this character kind of flees out into the wilderness and, you know, tries to familiarize because the wilderness feels like home, right? This is when he's, when he's amongst like the nature, the plants, the trees, when he sees the animals, uh, he is captivated by them. So I think he spends a fair amount of time out in the wilderness of so the mountains, in the woods, etc. Um, but I think he is in kind of inherently drawn uh, and maybe just cannot avoid, you know, moving through areas where there's a little bit more um, kind of population. And so he has to figure out how to move through those locations because he, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that he doesn't see very many like him or any for that matter um, that really look like him. And so he probably, (laughs) so he probably sneaks around, you know, villages or settlements. Um, He may opportunistically try to (laughs) take some things if he feels he needs them for the sake of survival. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that I would imagine he might try to find might be something like a cloak or a blanket or something of that nature, not because he feels cold, but because he feels, he feels the need to kind of hide or, you know, cover up his metallic nature to some extent, because it's so it's, it's such a contrast to the natural world around him. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that's easy enough. Uh, You know, probably like your third night into the wilderness, uh, do you go up into the mountains or do you kind of stay in the forest? I think the forest more so than the mountains, Okay, Um, but maybe not far from, (laughs) from mountainous areas. So he could flee upwards if need be. Right. And that's not very difficult because I mean, uh, where you're at, the, the forest leads right into the mountains and it looks like this forest goes on for days. Okay. Um, you're still not sure where you're at. I think I moved you back to the world map at this point. So you can see the world map again. Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you right now where you're at, although I'm looking right where you're at right now. Um, but probably at the third day out into the forest, you come across this little clearing and there's a little farmstead, um, just a little place where some, People have some goats and they have a little garden and there is some uh, laundry up on a line and it's very easy to quickly snag um, like a, 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 a an old warm cloak. So you're kind of, um, yeah, you're, you, you, you find some clothing to wear. Um, at one point you are, um, I imagine you're in the forest, you come across like a, a stream or a pond and it's pretty clear and pretty smooth glass. And for the first time, you actually get a good look at yourself. What? So we, you already described your legs. You described kind of your your arms and hands. What does your character see when they look at their face and chest? So I think the most striking aspect would be these large almost bug-like, you know, in a sense, like these large round kind of 
protruding um, orbs for eyes in the place of eyes of eyes. They're they're a deep um, kind of a dark green color. Um, you know, if almost not not quite black, you know, but like a deep forest green in color. Um, that the head is like kind of like a rounded bucket that's been turned upside down. It's, it's very simple. Um, there's been some simple riveting up and along the sides. And then these two large round orbs, uh, on the front and then where the mouth would be in the nose, there is kind of this slatted opening, um, where, you know, his voice is modulated from and where, certain other sense smells and things of like that are d- detected through. Awesome. Um, as you gaze at yourself, you also notice that uh, now, now can you describe So you said brass, are you like clean? Are you, are you dusty? Are you rusted? Are you polished? Like how would you describe the state of your actual physical body right now? I think given the recency from, you know, kind of the flight from the facility, um, as what I'll kind of think of it in my mind. Um, I would say that it's kind of a brass, you know, one of those like orangish gold kind of colors. Um, it's not high polished, you know, that's, so it does have a bit of a sheen to it, metallic in nature, but it's not like a highly polished mirrored finish to him. Um, and certainly after the scuffs, and scrapes of being out in the woods and fleeing from the facility itself. You know, it's showing a few dings and a few scrapes here and there that are kind of casting a bit of a dinginess on it. There's some dirt. Um, I don't know yet that he's seeing any oxidization where he's showing any change in color yet. Um, but maybe there's the beginnings of some tarnish showing on like his breastplate or some other areas that are more exposed to the weather. Awesome. Um, one thing that you do notice that does shine, uh, differently across your chest, it actually has more of a, um, almost like a, well, it's an acid etched serial number that's been stenciled across your chest, um, kind of on the left side over where your heart would be. Um, and that number is three, eight, one dash seven M a five, a nine D zero. Um, you have no clue what that symbol what what that number means does that mean like your number 381 out of a thousand or does that mean does the seven m you you don't know how the numbers line up to what you are um but um you do see that that um that serial number etched across your chest interesting i kind of run my hand over it and look at it and and surprisingly you do know what those numbers and letters are Um, so that's a good sign. Um, as you are out in the wilderness, out in the forest, you, something else weird starts to happen as, um, as, uh, creatures kind of uh, not necessarily approach you, but as they pass by you at one point, you are, um, walking past a tree and you hear this little like squeak, squeak, squeak of a, a chipmunk. And, um, you get the very distinct impression that the, chipmunk is afraid of you the the squeak that it is delivering is a squeak of intruder and fear and uh as you 
move through the forest in other places you you can hear the howling at night and you you know that it is you just instinctively know that it is an alpha of some pack and the howl is calling the other members of its pack to go hunt you just know you don't know how you know but you know and at one point you hear an owl flying overhead and it's letting out this hoo 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 and you hear it and you think oh he's saying searching searching and then other people might not notice but suddenly the hoot is slightly different and you instinctively know oh mouse he just found a mouse and you find yourself able to kind of decipher what's going on around you in the wilderness which is also probably kind of unnerving because you know that that is very natural but it's also kind of unnatural to be able to do that Mm -hmm. so i don't know what um what your character would be thinking in that moment. But uh, that is something that has been happening as you've been out here in the wilderness by yourself. I think um, seeing the animals and like, you know, especially like a chipmunk or squirrel, that's like intruder. um, I think the curiosity aspect is real. I mean, intellectually, you know, this character is almost like a child still and is just drawn to the natural world and probably starts talking to these uh, creatures, mimicking their sounds, trying to kind of placate them and, you know, be like, Oh, hush, hush. You don't need to fear me. You know, I'm not here to hurt you. And just kind of starts to acclimate himself to the woods. Uh, he, He just feels at peace in this place. Like he's missing something and this place is like some sort of a reflection of that, which he is missing. Yeah. I mean, at one point you and the chipmunk kind of become friends is, you know, not necessarily you become acquaintances. Um, he'll come to you for, um, to, to find out if you have any nuts or if you found any seeds for him. Um, and I don't know what you ask him, <laughs> but you, you kind of create this very simple, very basic dialogue with a few of these creatures. And uh, as you kind of move through the woods, I mean, I, are you staying put? Are you kind of just roaming with nowhere to go? What kind of what's your what's your thought? I think there's there is a bit of kind of nomadic roaming about aimlessly. Um it wouldn't surprise me if because he follows kind of these signs of life, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, steadily and slowly he starts making his way down towards, uh, you know, wherever like water, maybe river or lake or anything like that, because that tends to be a focal point, a congregating point for lots of wildlife. And so might not be a direct path, but kind of, circuitously making his way towards that. Awesome. I I think what we'll do is at this point, we'll kind of end the role play aspect of your session zero. If you're cool with that. Yeah, that's fine. I think you've gotten a feel for what your character can do. I think you've gotten an idea of kind of (laughs) as much as you know of where your character has come from. Um, As far as the name of your character, if you want to name yourself now, knowing what your numbers are, or if you want to wait for somebody else to name you, that's fine. We can, we can do that either way. Um, 
I would imagine that you meeting up with Matt, with Matt, with Pine, um, we'll, we'll kind of do that through probably through Slack or through text or something cool. just to kind of get a, a, a rough outline of that whole interaction so that when we start session one, you guys know each other and you guys are basically in cahoots together and doing something. I won't say it's, we'll call it light treason. Um, <laughs> I love that idea. I think, I think in terms of my character's name and I'll probably talk with Matt to kind of get his take on it, but I almost think it might be kind of cool if pine is the one that kind of calls him Ebby the first time. Um, okay. I imagine in my head, like our first meeting kind of what he and I had talked a little bit about that. Maybe I had been kind of, you know, wrapped and, you know, shrouded and was trying to move through some sort of a city area or some sort of a, you know, more populated region and, you know, some hoodlums or somebody started to kind of cause trouble, you know, starting to kind of like throw rocks at me or kind of push me around or something, um, wanting me to take off my, my hood or my rope or, or my robe or something, you know, just kind of causing trouble and pine steps in and uh, don't know if it goes to blows or if he just intimidates them and they run away. Um, and somehow in our conversations, he sees my chest plate and points at it and says, Ebby. And it just sticks after that, where I just get called that <laughs> afterwards. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and also, that's great. I love that. That's fantastic. I love the idea of how your name came to be. It's, it's great. Um, but also one thing that will happen uh, between what just happened and session one, is that somewhere along the line, you will recognize the um, kind of the the jacket that the guard was wearing who attacked you with the spear. It's a gray jacket. I didn't describe it at all during session zero, but it's a gray jacket. It's got like kind of some, um, just some piping, not like a big gold braid or anything, but just had some piping around the shoulders and everything. And now um, Ebby has learned since that incident that that is the Almerian Empire. Got it. Okay. So, so Ebby would be aware that the facility he was in was more than likely secret and very distant from civilization up in the mountains. And I took you back to the, to the world map. You were basically like here. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. So on the, in the glass mountains, but um, I would imagine you kind of headed Northeast and that's how you ended up outside of Tar of Tabory. Um, the other thing that, we need to figure out between you and Matt is kind of where does Ebby live now? Because Pine has a house in the city of Tabory. Um, does Ebby live with him? Does Ebby live outside and they kind of meet up? Like, how does that whole interaction work? That's something that you and Matt can discuss. And then just kind of let me know. Basically Pine has a two bedroom house in, you know, a middle-class part of town and he lives there alone. So there is even a, a separate bedroom um, if that's needed. But Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to kind of clarify because I would imagine it probably makes more sense for Pine's character that he remain kind of alone. But maybe um, he and I meet up for shenanigans every now and then or have been kind of palling around periodically for different things. Um, <laughs> so in terms of the robotics for my character... You know, there are a few of the spells, the robotic flame blade spell that I mentioned earlier, the robotic energy saber. 
and yeah. the there's another one that's the um uh the robotic ice missile so those i have the <laughs> i i picture that as being like it's it is triggered and powered by magical energy but it is also a function built into my robotic being and so in order for that to work i need to consume water in order to have it create ice like i can't make ice out of just thin air so i need to like almost you know have a reservoir of water within my body that i can use to kind of you know create this robotic ice missile and use it to launch out there or if i'm going to use the flame blade i need alcohol so i can burn that and use that to kind of power the flame blade um and so I might go to taverns all dressed in things and we'll sip on drinks, but only so that way I can replenish those reservoirs. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You're immune to poison and you're immune to disease. So I imagine you're also, or you're not, you're resistant to poison. I'd imagine that it's hard for you to get drunk. It is possible though. We'll it say that it, that it is all right. possible to get drunk. <laughs> I like that.